really the goal is not targeted interventions or responding after an issue, but it's it's trying to build the wellness of an entire community before an issue might even arise. So the comprehensive means it's for everybody in the school community. The pod class is in session. I'm your host, Elizabeth Tingle, and welcome to our series, Conversations on School Health, a holistic look at maximizing the health and well-being of students and teachers. This series is a collaboration between the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary and EverActive Schools. Each episode, we speak with a different leader in their field about topics that impact student and teacher well-being. Today, we're joined by Scott Bailey with EverActive Schools, a teacher who has expertise on the comprehensive school health framework. A reminder to those of you who are listening, we hope that this podcast format will allow you to do something while you're listening that will help you feel better, whether it's getting outside and enjoying the sunshine, or maybe you need a bath today. I don't know what you need, but I hope that the fact that this is being delivered to you by podcast can free you up to do something that would help you in some way. So before we get into the details about who you are, Scott, I wonder if you could share what your go-to strategies are to either exercise or just take care of yourself. Yeah, sure thing. So total confession, I'm seated in my basement office recording this right now. Uh, But if I was listening to this podcast, hopefully I'd be maybe out on a walk or, or out on my bike. But being active on a daily basis is definitely become really important to me probably more since leaving school and my personal story an opportunity to go for a walk or a jog or a bike ride try not to pass those up absolutely and do you have any other maybe non-traditional ways that you take care of yourself because i know when we say health promotion people often think about exercise but there's other ways to take care of your health too i'm wondering if you could share something like that yeah definitely i mean i'm a dad of two relatively young kids four and one and a half which probably implies a lot of activity And since becoming a dad, I I think the word activity has replaced exercise for me because you're looking for the opportunities you can get personally as time evaporates on you. But you're also hopefully relishing those opportunities to to be active and play with your kids as well. So to be totally honest, it's uh, taking out our new stomp rocket toy. And (laughs) I can't tell you who has more fun with that, whether it's me me or the kids. Uh, that sounds fun. Yeah, there's something about kids that like force you to be in the moment. And that's healing, I think. Definitely. Yep. So tell us a little bit about your experience as a teacher and what your role in the education context is today. And share with us why you've come to care a lot about school health promotion. Awesome. I've had the luckiest career path in my biased opinion. <laughs> but coming out of not going too far back, but coming out of high school, I wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do, but started university anyways, and found myself drifting from that uh, into what became a career in the ski industry for a long time, running a snow school and getting into the coaching side. For a kid who didn't really participate in sports growing up, that was a bit of a shock to myself and family, I think. Mm -hmm. But that was where I really found an activity that worked for me. And yeah, forged that that identity of, of being involved in the sport and, and recreation world. And after a while, 
came to came to teaching, so I went back to school and and did my education degree, which was a great experience as well, and and saw the potential for a little more stability for one, but also to really impact at least one classroom of kids for a much longer stretch than even coaching over the the course of a season. And then I landed at this beautiful little school in the middle of the forest near Bragg Creek for my very first teaching job. And suddenly a whole bunch of life passions were, were able to come together. So I'm actually a humanities teacher really by trade. So I spent most of my curriculum focused around language arts and and social studies at the middle school level, but was also given the opportunity with that past experience to, hey, take go for it and take the lead on phys ed and even some outdoor ed because we had the forest right there. So I learned a lot over those first few years teaching, a lot of ways not to do it, and that physical education is not just fitness testing and dryland training. Was able to access some really great professional learning. That eventually forged connections with Everactive Schools, where the very next super lucky career transition led. I've now been with Everactive Schools since 2017 as a health and wellness consultant uh, or a school health facilitator. And I've had the opportunity to work in probably over 30 different schools at a whole bunch of different ways from a one-time workshop to building projects over the course of a year and getting to work with teachers, administrators, ed assistants, and students. That's always most successful when we work with the students to push health and well-being forward in those school communities. I guess I'm able to bring some of that instructional design and, and can lean on some of the skills from being a teacher, but it's been a really great process to really build my own knowledge base and something I was always passionate about, helping people find ways to be well. And that's even grown from recreation and activity to more holistic views of it. And that's what I get to do today. So yeah, I work with teachers a lot, try to find every opportunity to work with students. And at Everactive Schools, we're a provincial organization in Alberta with lots of different projects and workshops on the go, but it's all about helping schools in their journey towards being healthier places. That's great. I did not know all those things about you. I've met you before, but I'm a humanities secondary teacher by trade as well. And what we start out with isn't necessarily where we end up. I ended up doing senior high health and my research is around this passion too. So you kind of never know when you start where the road is going to take you. <laughs> but the field in education is always interesting and there's lots of different places to go with it. So thank you. Definitely. Yeah. So I want to start with this question of why should schools be a place where health is promoted? Why should this fall within the responsibility of a teacher and school community? What do you think about that? Right. Well, I think if we really take a look back uh, in history, schools are really an optimal setting to try to influence a bunch of kids and their families potentially all at one time. And I know like even in my own schooling experience, there'd be opportunities for maybe dental care or you think of mandatory vaccinations strictly from like a health side of things, provision of basic health care, I suppose. I guess it's not too big of a stretch to then look at uh, schools as a place to pilot upstream approaches. And if we could pilot initiatives that we know are good for the bulk of the population, well, we have a pretty captive audience of K to 12 students for six to eight hours a day. Teachers though, and I think I would have been one of them at the beginning of my career, 
might not necessarily see that. It's not an explicit part of our role that we're going to be promoters of health. But if you think about it, you're going to have far more academic success if the students in front of you are well. Uh, Even if I just think of myself, I know sleep is a big indicator for me. And when I haven't gotten quite enough, I mentioned that a parent of relatively young kids. So this Mm -hmm. is an experience that comes up often. But yeah, when we're struggling with our sleep, everything else starts to fall off. I know I, I start turning up late for meetings. I start missing replies that I should be sending. And it's the same across the across the age band too. So if we can have healthier students, we're probably going to have more success in all the other great things that we want to get into in schools. Absolutely. I think it helps me to understand the need for school-based health promotion when we consider how 100 years ago in the schoolhouse in a community, the teacher would inspect children's fingernails or look at their hair for lice. Teachers were playing a public health role from the very beginning. And so it makes sense that as we learn more about how physical health and mental health and social health are all interconnected, that teachers need to be inspecting and looking for those things too. Totally. I had an interaction with a really wise principal early on, and sadly, I don't even remember her name, but it was at a school PD event just before I started working for Everactive Schools, and Everactive Schools happened to be speaking there. So we were talking about physical activity, but I think it really applies. The principal said, for so many of our students, this is the only place that they have access And then in that case, it was to, say, intramurals or team sports. And yeah, when you think about that in any school community, there's always going to be those students where school is their primary access to healthy food, where school is their primary access to health care, like those examples around lice, the dreaded letters that we get, but but also (laughs) dental care vaccinations. And school can be this universal access to all dimensions of well-being if we're really open to it. Yeah. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about the comprehensive school health framework, which is the approach that we use here in Canada. Where did this model come from? And can you summarize it for those who are unfamiliar? For me, the learning has definitely been ongoing around comprehensive school health from working as a classroom teacher and coming into the role in health promotion. And one of the funny or curious aspects about the framework and the whole topic is that it does have many different names and we could see it in, de- in many different dimensions. In, if you're in the United States, you might hear about the term health promoting schools just as one example. But in Canada, what has been a positive is ministries of education and ministries of health have collaborated nationally. And so we do have an agreed upon term, comprehensive school health, I think if you were to travel from school to school, you might see how that looks different. And from school division to division, that might look different because it can have so many different priority areas potentially. But if you follow the research around comprehensive school health, it really is a framework for promoting upstream approaches, ideally for a big chunk or the whole school community to uh, improving wellness in areas like active living or physical activity, healthy eating, and positive mental well-being. Those are kind of the big three, especially in Alberta. Other areas where it definitely is used, though, is in staff well-being, too, and, and as a framework for student leadership. So 
even just within conversations of those topics, we may even be doing comprehensive school health without realizing it. Of course. And maybe it's helpful to break down the term a little bit. So when we say comprehensive and comprehensive school health, what is that supposed to convey? That's back to that universal and upstream message. I'm quoting Dr. Shelley Russell Mayhew on those two terms again and again. But really, the goal is not targeted interventions or responding after an issue, but it's it's trying to build the wellness of an entire community before an issue might even arise. So the comprehensive means it's for everybody in the school community. So do you have an example of a school that's really embraced the comprehensive part of comprehensive school health? Definitely. And, and like I said, I'm so privileged to have been able to travel to many different schools in this role with Everactive Schools. So I can tell you that across Alberta, uh, and even up into the Northwest Territories, that was a highlight, there are school divisions doing amazing work. And the real success stories happen when you drill down to the school level, and sometimes even the classroom level. One that's had a, a big impact on me was getting to visit Sunnyside School, which is out just outside Lethbridge, Alberta. It's a tiny little school, K to six, in the middle of a bunch of farmer fields. There's really nothing else around, but it draws in students from all over. So kind of a mix of rural and and some urban students in the area. And this is a school that has totally bought in to when students are healthy and are well and feel good about being at school, that they'll be more successful. And it's really cool to see those priorities standing side by side. Achievement isn't separate from how the students are doing. And I think the most clear way that they do that is they embed their wellness initiatives. They embed those three priority areas of comprehensive school health in everything they do. So both within the formal school schedule and also in those other opportunities like recess or the before and after school period. So one example is that the school has really played with the recess time period. It started with a vision that every student would be outside every day of the year. And if you've ever been to Southeast Alberta on a cold, windy winter day, you would know what a challenge that could be. I have been and I know. (laughs) But that doesn't happen by just saying that that's going to happen. And so with that school, that was one project where we actually did get to interact. So Everactive Schools was supporting what they were already doing with recess and, and working with their staff. And really, we were learning from each other as much as we were providing professional learning. And what it evolved into was that every student would spend time outside every day. And every student would have opportunity to be physically active every day, either inside or out. And their recess actually evolved to every student will have a choice for what they need to do for their rest, leisure, or play in their dedicated recess time every day. So like conversations about withholding recess because work wasn't done, they didn't even happen because that goal of supporting students and their well-being was was so key. It was amazing to see, but in the comprehensive school health framework, you see in that example, the teaching and learning policy and physical and social environment components working just in harmony with each other as the policies evolved, for instance. So it was a great first step to have everybody outside at recess to begin with, but then they noticed that that wasn't working for every single student. They knew the research told them that every student would benefit from being outside every day, but then they started to question, and this is where we work together, the question whether that always had to happen at the exact same time. 
And I've seen schools work similarly with that. Should recess be a time where every student has to do physical activity? This sounds radical coming from ever active schools, <laughs> but probably not. Like, let's preserve that time for students to read a book if they like, or for some students to actually be inactive in that time, as long as we're making sure they do have those opportunities for the physical activity and for the active parts of their day that we, we know they do need. And you just, you, you weave that through the day where it fits best for each student. I like that. That lines up with some of my research that shows that when people get to make choices and sort of have autonomy over how they spend their time, that that really is promoting for their well-being. So I could see how giving that student voice and agency to decide, you know, what do I need today during this small recess break? And it would change every day, I'm sure, depending on what they needed. Yeah, it it could. And I mean, to be realistic, you can't throw every choice out there uh, that ever existed. Um, (laughs) The idea of enabling constraints, I, I learned about it reading Brent Davis and Dennis Samara in that, you know, our role as teachers and as the designers of learning and and expand that bigger to just building the social environment of our school is we do need to give some options. So, so even at Sunnyside School, it's not unlimited space that they have, but with that student voice, and as Dr. Kate Story talks about students as the change agents, so with that student voice and also students like physically building the spaces, they have a really successful area called Tarps and Tires, but they also have a, a quieter area with benches and some gardens. And they've got the traditional playground. And the coolest one that they told me about is they have the the toy horses for horse races around the track out in the back of their schoolyard. Oh, that is so fun. Yeah. I need video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you lose that in the podcast. But yeah, I mean, and this is, it's long. So comprehensive too means that you're not going to achieve all of it in one year. So this has been an evolution for them. It's just one example among many that really stands out. But you do see those pieces that the research talks about being important. As I mentioned, the students as change agents, but also making sure that our actions really are harmonized around those four components. And the research also says that teachers, and this is my background, we're going to have the most impact, go figure, on teaching and learning and the physical and social environments that, that our students are in. So yeah, full credit to that school and many for strong administration teams as well, because it's very hard to change big P policies. We might have control over small P policies in our classroom or with our students. Hopefully organizations like Everactive Schools can continue to be um, valuable partners, bringing some resources or even just connecting or providing a platform for schools like this to tell their story so we can learn from each other. Yeah, that's a great example of a shift in culture at a school, which really is the goal. And then breaking down this term comprehensive school health again. So when we say school in that term, what are we talking about? Is it just the classroom? It can start maybe just in the classroom. But if we're aiming for success, we're hoping it's the whole school building. And this is not a unique concept either. The school is the hub of the community. It it lives in design thinking. It lives... In the humanities, like as a social studies teacher, I always wanted our school to be one of those big hubs for for pieces like engaging with our elected leaders or hosting forums or advocating for changes maybe in the walk zone around our community as well. All of those types of things are possible using the comprehensive school health framework. 
So I mentioned partners and services before, and I think to go back even further, when you asked about why are things strong here, or, or why is comprehensive school health widely accepted in the West, it's because we have organizations like Alberta Health Services, Apple Schools further north, the BeFit for Life Network across the province, and faculties of education, all using the term and all invested in helping schools to really grow their wellness through that system approach. Yeah, and I think it's important to consider all of the people that make up a school community. Like we always think of students and teachers and also administrators, but there's also the parents play a role in promoting health in a school, not just in the way they volunteer, but also in sort of setting their kids up for success. And I think of the caretaking staff and Mm -hmm. yeah, the people that come in from the community, maybe to administer vaccinations or different things like that. Like it's, it really is more than just the people that we often think about that go to a school every day. Totally. And and there's so many people who I think would be keen to help. Uh, just a couple of quick examples come to mind. It really helped me and my grade team to get some new creative physical education equipment. This is a couple years into teaching at the school by going to a parent council meeting and bringing some little hurdles and an agility ladder and the mats and, and exercise balls that we wanted and actually having the parents go through it with us. And it was a real win. I got our soon to retire principal who was just amazing, but had taught for a long time, probably in her early 60s, uh, to kick off her high heels and she jumped into the agility ladder <laughs> as well. Awesome. Those are those are those types of partnerships. To draw on an ever active schools example, our resource, Don't Walk in the Hallway, involves changing the look and feel of the hallways by by sticking semi-permanent decals down. Well the most important person in the school to work with on that project is obviously the caretaker. And some caretakers invested in that right away because they thought, oh, this will be so much fun for the students. And once in a while, I'll even see them out jumping through the tiles with the students. Like that is a mark of success. That's a great example. When we talk about health in comprehensive school health, what are we talking about? Because in our culture, there's so many connotations with the word health, but what does it actually mean? To, to be healthy, it's, it's not just the absence of an illness. So Alberta education talks about different dimensions of well-being. As the curriculum evolves, I think we'll see more than has traditionally been in there. But yeah, it's more than just physical health. Obviously, there's our mental well-being, our spiritual well-being, our occupational well-being. Like, are we happy doing what we're doing? And are we, are we talking about having the right fit? So I think that's a really good reference piece to go back to. And I think it's important to remember uh, Government of Canada talks about social determinants of health, and that's where your socioeconomic status may come into play. And those are those factors as teachers that we don't always control, but we are very influenced by. And then even more so students, they have almost no control over many of those determinants, but they greatly influence how their health and overall well-being will be. So that's what we're talking about. And I think there's a distinction between health education, so the curriculum we we teach, but also just on a grander scale, really trying to have a school, a community of people who are well, and that's that bigger picture of health. Yeah. So by the time teachers finish their training, they have often seen, at least this is how it was for me, a lot of frameworks, models, flowcharts, 
hierarchies, taxonomies. There's a lot of theory and there's this tension between theory and practice, I think, with teachers because we're excited by the practice, the application of the ideas, but it always needs to be grounded in the theory. But sometimes all of it can feel like theory overload. So I'm wondering if you can speak to why the model for comprehensive school health is important. Why can't we just have the intention to make schools healthier places? For sure. Yeah, we need to, it could become another acronym, right? CSH, UBD, UDL. Um, but the ones that stick with us I, as teachers, or for me as teacher, the, the acronyms that stuck are the ones that helped me do my job. So <laughs> UBD I threw out there, but understanding by design, that was crucial for me as an early teacher to learn about backwards design, which, you know, it's not that radical, but start with the end in mind know how you're going to assess what you're looking for and then plan backwards. And on full admission, I would often jump that assessment piece because I was so excited about what the learning would look like. And it's way easier if you can think about what kind of evidence you're going to want to collect before you start teaching and have the students start creating. Uh, And I would say comprehensive school health is similar. It's, It's really easy to jump into the teaching and learning part if you're a teacher. It may be really easy to jump into the policy part if that's if that's what gets you really excited, or the environment part, if you work in the community and you want to put up a new playground or you want to change the speed limit in front of your school. We really do need all of those components to work together, and that's why it's a team approach. So when we look at comprehensive school health as a framework and not so much a checklist, that to me is key. So you know, I've worked around school communities or been part of those conversations where we put up comprehensive school health and and make a list of all the things you're doing that we think contributed to student well-being and then categorize them to each of those four components. There's nothing wrong with that, but you could take any one of those initiatives. So say a recess or lunchtime walk and run club. And rather than that just being a thing that you do to satisfy your social environment or your teaching and learning, if you actually like conceived of that being in the middle of the comprehensive school health model. So more students have access to the walking track or more students are taking advantage of moving around the school area. Maybe you're lucky enough to have a little trail like I did at my first school. Everybody has that, right? Um, (laughs) But yeah, maybe you're lucky enough to have that. And the goal is that more students use it more often. Well, suddenly you'll start to have a whole bunch of actions that would make a lot of sense. You're probably going to sign up to join the free Alberta Medical Association Youth Run Club. Who knew about that one? But every student gets a pair of sunglasses. And as the coach, you get a free t-shirt and a whole bunch of resources to help you actually build your training program. So you don't need to be an expert at it. What an amazing partnership. But that can easily be overlooked if we just try to push ahead with the pieces that we might feel strongest about. Well, and if the goal is, you know, let's increase movement and using this outdoor space, then it doesn't have to live just within the club. Like teachers can take their classes out there more to do science or art. That goal can look different depending on who takes it up as opposed to just an activity or or this little project that we want to do in our school. Totally. And I think there's so many entryways into comprehensive school health. And if that's where you're at, if you're at in a school where it feels like, oh, we have all these initiatives, but we don't necessarily see the connections, 
that's okay. Like we'll still try to do a good job of those initiatives, but taking a model like comprehensive school health might just make those connections a lot more obvious. If an older grade science class is really interested in doing some experimentation out in the forest or, or some trees nearby, well, there's a perfect opportunity, right? To link that to a walking trail and you can have some signage that maybe illuminates the things that are being learned from science and also a signage that challenges you to get more steps in your day or put like a little figure eight that uh, when you hit this part, you're going to do a little sprint. So there's so many ways that we can pair what might seem like completely different activities, but they actually all support that whole child. And that's what sits in the middle of the comprehensive school health model. I like that. How can schools make sure that when they are promoting health, that it's effective and doesn't have any adverse outcomes, like someone feeling left out or like they're not meeting a new standard that they've been told is important? That's a really important topic. And yeah, we started kind of talking about health education. To be honest, there's not a lot of professional learning about teaching health. Full credit to our great friends at Alberta Health Services. They do regularly provide programs to teachers and schools, and their content is really good. And for me, as a young teacher, one thing I wanted to be safe about was know that whatever resource I'm using is one that's been approved by someone who's actually an expert in this. And when it has the Alberta Health Services logo on it, it's probably pretty safe. A resource that every teacher should know about that gets updated every fall is the authorized list of comprehensive school health and health education topics. And that comes from the provincial leadership at AHS. So that's pretty important. When Everactive Schools takes on this topic, we take uh, some time to break down the definitions. We do it in physical education. So there's a difference between physical education and daily physical activity. They have different outcomes. Just as in health, there's a difference between health education, where you're trying to teach those curricular outcomes, and then health promotion. So I think there really are experts and specialists in the field, and, and they just need to make sure they're accessing students the right way. And, and us as teachers, we need to make sure we are accessing them in the right way. So I think two really good questions for anything you want to do on a whole school approach is, is it universal? Is it appropriate for the whole school population? And is it upstream? So is it going to promote healthier behaviors? Is it going to promote pieces that we know contribute to our wellness, well, then it's probably appropriate. Is it reacting to a negative situation? Yeah, this probably won't. And there's actually really clear research that the comprehensive school health framework, that upstream piece of it is actually not all that effective with trying to eliminate substance abuse, unless you can go upstream in the process and you're actually promoting mental well-being that has a much greater impact. Oh, then promoting sort of drug education or understanding the risks of drug abuse, it's more important to focus on emotional and mental health. Yeah. Rather than responding to a problem with, say, substance abuse, you would want to go upstream and promote positive mental well-being strategies that might have the, the knock-on effect to actually reduce some of those unwanted behaviors. And also, it's important to remember that we've got the curriculum to rely on when it comes to health education. You know, there are outcomes that have been set forth and approved and rigorously researched. Like, that's where we should be going to whenever we're doing health education as a teacher. And then I really like those questions that you asked when it comes to whole school health promotion. Is it universal? Is it 
appropriate? Is it age appropriate? I think those are all really important questions. Yeah. Maybe another example to consider is the one day health fair. I've been to some, probably even helped to maybe plan pieces of some. And, you know, again, if that's your starting point, then let's, let's work from there. But think of all the guest presenters that are often brought in to those, whether it's a health fair or a one day event in the, in the school environment. Is it really possible to vet every single person that you're turning over that teaching time to to your students? The answer is that it's not, right? So we need to be really critical of the content that we're bringing into our classrooms and, and to the whole school as well. And we'll never get it completely perfect, and that shouldn't be our goal. But like you mentioned, as a teacher in your classroom, when you know that you're delivering evidence-based resources that support curriculum outcomes, you're probably fine. You can you can feel pretty safe in that. And then as you start to go bigger, again, like just relying maybe more on the trusted partners or asking those hard questions. Like, am I just taking a headline I saw in the news and, and translating that into an event for everybody in the school? That doesn't seem as appropriate and it doesn't seem as rigorous. Mm-hmm. So you know, as well as I do, that teaching is busy and complex. What would you say to the teacher who feels like, I've got a lot to do, now I need to think about health promotion, and who might see it as an extra? How do you talk about comprehensive school health? Yeah, it's a sensitive conversation, because teacher well-being is so, so important as well. And a, a phrase that one of my colleagues, Dana Fulweiler, crafted last year was, let's leave this conversation with teachers burning out, but can we find ways where we burn in to what we're doing? And so in a school, on a school staff, everybody's going to have different areas that they're passionate about. And going back to the example from Sunnyside School, this was one of the ways that their school principal, who's a real champion for leading this type of work, she bought into that. So she built opportunities for staff to connect with students outside maybe their classroom beyond their grade level as much as they were comfortable around their own passions that contributed to their well-being like a board game club that that arose and a modeling club that arose and a running club and a yoga club and all of these different pieces and they would rotate regularly so there's lots of opportunity and for the teacher to participate it had to be something that they were interested in they didn't have to be the expert but just something that they were interested in doing and same for the students. They they did get to make their choice, but they had to stick with it once they were in. So for a certain number of days, and often at school, we have some of those flex times. Even at high school, like there's those advisory blocks and there are some of those flex times. And this is not such a radical idea because some schools are pursuing this. I guess it's, it's matching wellness strategies to what works for you. So like the very first question you asked me, Elizabeth, what would you be doing for wellness? If it was the winter, maybe I'd even be trying to listen to this podcast on my cross-country skis or out on skates for a little bit. We can get really creative with it. When you look around your community, rather than seeing it as an add-on, how can you embed something that you really enjoy into your job? And you can almost take responsibility for your wellness a little bit in that way. Again, it's not going to be 100% of our of our job teachers do have a lot of roles and responsibilities. Every profession does, and those aren't going to go away. I'm not suggesting that they should. But one reflection for me is, I wish that I had embedded our running club at recess time rather than it being after school. I think 
with what I've learned now, I would have been able to connect the dots and figure out the policy and work with my admin, who are always fantastic, to line it up so that I was participating in supervision with enough students who were out running and walking, you know, a little trail we had around the yard. But it wasn't an extra thing. It was just enhancing something that I was already going to do going outside for supervision. That's just one example, but I think that there's lots of possibilities out there. I like all of those ideas. How would your workday be made possibly a little bit better? And can you in some way involve the school community in that? I think that's a really good way to approach it. It's not an extra, it's an invitation. Totally, yeah. Like, let's leave the term to do or have to do, and it's something you get to do. Yeah. Yeah, if you can't have that all the time, that's just not life. But the more of those you have, it's going to be great for your own wellness. And that's a cool way to teach as well, like getting our students to think about the things they get to do when they come to school. Well, that's going to be a cool environment to be in. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if you could share some successful stories of coordinated health promotion in a school setting, things where you really have seen it making a difference. A project that some of my amazing colleagues at Everactive Schools have worked on for a number of years, and this actually links to work that's happened across the prairies, is the Indigenous Youth Mentorship Program. So this is really that, that it's like a marriage between in-school time and after-school time. Uh, and partnering high schools with elementary schools. In a lot of our First Nations communities in Alberta, the high school will either be right beside the elementary school or they may even be attached to each other in in a K-12. to So this program offered high school credit for high school students to volunteer to become leaders in both physical activity and healthy eating sessions for their youngest peers in grades one and two. Um, It looked a little different in every community, but that's kind of the basis of the program. So a little bit of seed funding obviously goes to support the healthy snack or a little bit of equipment and then training. And and that's where Everactor Schools is one of those partners that's come in to help with some of the student leader training and sharing all the great daily physical activity games that we've got that you can play with small groups up to large groups. What really made it work, again, is a strong teacher champion is is dedicated there and follows those leadership students through. I say teacher champion, it doesn't have to be actually a strong adult champion from the school community, because in a lot of places, it might be an education assistant, or it might be a parent from the community or a coach that really can take that through. Another project that worked well in, in some of those First Nations communities, I believe it was in Kainai First Nation in Southern Alberta, was just paying attention to what was engaging students. And basketball was the sport with that specific group. And there was a correlation between when the basketball season was running and attendance uh, in high school. And so some decisions were made, some funding was allocated, coach training was provided to make sure that the basketball season could actually be extended by maybe another month or even another six weeks. Just giving some of those students another reason to come to school because that's their, their identity was coming to school to play basketball. And you can't argue that along the way, there wasn't also the benefits from, from being present at school and being in classes as well. I think school sport is a whole area that could completely be reimagined. There's some amazing teachers working across Alberta right now trying to eliminate any kind of cuts and tryouts for school teams, at least up to a certain level, so that the first message that a young student gets trying out in sport isn't, oh, you weren't good enough to make the team and all your training stops, but flipping that completely around 
It's like, well, thanks for showing an interest and we're going to work with you. And here's how we're going to develop your skills. And, and we might have 75 players interested in volleyball, but we're going to work with all of them in different streams so that everybody gets the opportunity to develop. Yeah, let's keep going. You're reminding me of how my son felt when he didn't make the badminton team. You know, those those things can stay with you. And it it really is an indication of a student wanting to try something new. So why wouldn't we work with that and just kind of see where it goes? Totally. It might be admitting too much, but my choice of activity in high school was joining the marching band because everybody was accepted. <laughs> <laughs> like we would beg and entice people to join because the more members you have, the better you'll be. And it can be a big band. <laughs> exactly. Activities like sport or any kind of activity should be that way too, because the more players you've got, the better it will be. And, and then obviously from you know the larger lens, like in the school community, the more people involved, the more students with a connection to their school for whatever reason, it increases the health outcomes, but it also increases the learning outcomes because they're happier to be at school. Absolutely. What do you wish all teachers knew about making health and well-being a priority in their work? I think that confidence is is a really big thing and a lot of teachers can probably relate to being put into a situation where they had to try to lead something or teach something that was outside of their comfort zone. And I think as teachers and as administrators, we really need to rethink how we're doing that. And it kind of goes back to the, it's either a to-do list or a get-to-do list. You know, the only way to get confident in doing something is to get some experience with it. But in a teaching staff, there's going to be all kinds of skills and talents there. And when you have that big holistic view of health and well-being, back to the many dimensions of wellness or thinking about how we work with some of those determinants of health, Everybody on that staff team, regardless of what their internal narrative around healthy living might be, will have something to offer. And I think we do this potentially for some school events or some school projects, and we should do it through a lens of well-being also. It's really applying that comprehensive school health model to staff. So find something that you're confident in or that you want to grow your confidence in, and then it's an opportunity to make your work life better. So we're not being stuck having to do extra things like, oh, you're going to have to coach a team. Well, I, I never played basketball. What am I going to offer to students playing basketball? You know, hey, we do need everybody to coach a team. Can we give you some support where you work with a parent from the community? You know, I had that specific example, actually. I got to work with a parent who's quite skilled. Oh, and we're going to supplement with some of the older students in the school who also play on the team. They're going to get some mentorship opportunities. And obviously lots of support from the administrator who started by volunteering me that I was doing that, mm -hmm. but really supported me through the process. So yeah, we have so many opportunities in our work as teachers or folks in a school community to do really cool things. I think the advice would be try to engineer your job so you get to do the ones that excite you because that will benefit your well-being and also think through that lens of mentorship like open those opportunities for the folks on the team who might be interested in growing their confidence level a little bit or who who sign up for it it's actually 
One of my first ski school directors gave me the very best piece of advice for working with others. She said, if they're willing to join your team, you have to work with them no matter where they're at. So when you might see things differently or you come at it from different angles, you've just got to remember they're willing to be on your team. So doing the work of well-being in a school can be lonely sometimes. But if people are willing to be on the team with you, even if it may be communicated in slightly different ways at the beginning, strength in numbers is always a huge help. There's no cuts no. <laughs> for these tryouts. <laughs> totally. So just lastly, what is something maybe small or actionable that a teacher could start literally doing tomorrow in their class if they want to make their schools a healthier place to be? Start asking your students some targeted questions about those areas of well-being. And if again, if you're not totally sure where to start, start with the priority areas of comprehensive school health. Do a physical activity or active living survey and find out what they're doing in school time, what they do outside of school time, see what the interests are, and some connections will immediately start to emerge. It might be tougher to do a, a survey around mental well-being, but you know, if you don't feel comfortable teaching mental well-being, there are so many supports out there and so many resources out there and so many ways into it. It's a hard conversation for me early on, sometimes still is. I always kind of default to the physical activity, but are there ways to teach and learn about our mental well-being through physical activity? Of course there are, because they're completely linked. So yeah, the students generally tend to have the best answers. We just need to design things in a way that that they're going to give them to us. So I would start surveying the students on their ideas about wellness and find what fits. And it doesn't have to be huge. Find something that fits with some of the things you're already scheduled to do. So if you can make any links to your curriculum, if you could find a way to be outside for a whole day that still achieves some of those curriculum outcomes, that could be one example. I like that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share about the comprehensive school health model and your expertise. You've been to schools all over and have seen the results of this way of thinking. And I really appreciate your expertise on this, Scott. Awesome. Expertise (laughs) seems like the wrong word, to be honest. But I've learned a lot along the way, and I'm really grateful to, to so many people that have invited myself, invited Everactive Schools in, and to my teaching colleagues that I got to learn along the way with. We didn't know we were doing comprehensive school health as I reflect back on it. But when we were in those moments that we were truly enjoying it and we designed things that we could see the students were like really identifying with and engaging with, it was almost always active or benefiting their mental health or probably involved healthy foods, healthy behaviors. So it's a great community that does this work. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us for another conversation on school health, a serious collaboration between the Workland School of Education and Everactive Schools. Thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music, and a special thank you to Stephen Hurley from Voice Ed Radio for production assistance and sound editing. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at Everactive Schools, or visit our website everactive.org for more great content and resources. Until next time, the podcast is dismissed. Thank you.